We have uh, been on this series about a, um, the promise of an intimate pattern of prayer. And uh, last week we talked about the absolute essential, the absolute necessity of of prayer. And today we're, we're looking at one of those first essentials in meaningful prayer. The first essential to meaningful prayer, and that is focusing upon God's person. You know, I know that here that all of us, uh, we've been in church most of our lives, and uh, so, um, you know, we've, we know the Lord's Prayer forwards and backwards, and I've been praying that the Lord would just really make this come alive to us in a new way, that prayer, uh, I was talking to someone yesterday about how, you know, I don't know anyone who has mastered prayer. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you never feel like you're, you know, that you've, you've finally arrived in being, um, uh, a learning how to pray. Uh, it is an ongoing education for us. And I hope today that um, this would be another, maybe just another way, another something that the Lord can use in helping us to understand um, how we can, He wants us to have a meaningful prayer life, how we were created for prayer, and that it's not it's not always easy to learn how to pray and uh, he understands that and so he makes it simple for us that the very first essential thing in to, mean, mean, to meaningful prayer is learning about God's person uh, Jesus tells us here in Luke chapter 11 1 to 4 he said that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished one of his disciples it could have been Andrew said to him Lord teach us to pray just as John the Baptist taught his disciples. And he said to them that when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. But we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. So we see right here, Jesus kind of gives us a, an outline of saying these are the essentials of meaningful prayer. This is how Jesus prayed. This is, what, this is what made prayer meaningful to Jesus. And so if we copy his pattern, if we learn to pray like he prayed, then the intimacy he had with God will be our experience as well. Will be our experience as well. So Jesus, he said, uh, the one we're going to focus on today is, Father, hallowed be your name. When I was a, uh, when I was a, a boy, I played outside after dark uh, with my neighborhood chums many times, and uh, nighttime was always the best time to play hide and seek. I mean, it was great. Um, I never liked to be the seeker. I always liked to be the hider. I remember hiding behind hedges and, and uh, hiding in some of the most amazing places. And um, it was always, then you always had those people who were base huggers. You know, you know those people, they don't go and, and seek. They're always hiding by the, they're kind of hanging out by the base so they could, you know, try to try to nail you before you could come into the, to, to the base. But, but, uh, um, I remember uh, playing a lot of games of hide and seek, and, and eventually, though, it was time to come in. Uh, it was in time to come come in, and either my parents or my grandmother, depending on whose house I was at, would step outside, and I'd hear their voice say, "David, time to come in." Maybe you had that experience too. Your parents calling you in from the in 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 for for the night, you know, to come in come in the house. Other times, I'd be engaged in some serious playtime, and I'd hear my mom call me, "David, time for supper," and that meant now. <laughs> 
still be dilly-dallying out there, you know. Time for supper, you had to come in. Or dad would open my bedroom door at 6 a.m. and call me. David, it's time to wake up. <laughs> I'm sure all of us can relate to those kind of experiences. I've, uh, I've been called to things and away from things. I've been called to meals. I've been called to work. I've been called to help. I've been called away from danger. I've been called to face a spanking. <laughs> I've been called to account. Um, you know, many times called away from rest. I've been called, like I said, called to work at times. I, I, I always know when Becky calls me David Lauren, that, that's my middle name. And when she calls me David Lauren, I know something serious is about to be discussed. You know, yeah. It always, I mean, in the nicest way. She's always nice about it. But usually she's, she's wanting to call my attention to something that I'm, uh, anyway, uh, failing to do or I'm late or something. But the point I'm trying to make today is that we all have callings in the Lord. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ today, and, and even if you don't know him, you will have a calling in the Lord. And if you do know the Lord, you've had a calling and you will have many callings in the Lord. There's many callings that the scripture talks about that he gives us, that God gives us. Um, sometimes you may not recognize his calling. It's like, kind of like, like little Samuel in the Old Testament who was awakened three times by the Lord calling to him, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel didn't, didn't recognize his voice. I mean, you know, I, I can, uh, I can, I can uh, relate to that. I, uh, I'm kind of like, I was like Samuel. The first time I heard God speaking to me or, or sensed him speaking to my heart, I didn't recognize it as God. I didn't know that was God uh, trying to get, get my attention. But God persisted. And God always persists until you know it's Him. That's the neat thing about the Lord. He will always persist until you know it is Him that is calling you, that is trying to get your attention. It's a marvelous thing. It's a wonderful truth that God is persistent. He is stubbornly loving, determined to communicate with us. Romans chapter 11 verse 29 tells us that God is, uh, his callings are without repentance, which means, which means this, that God is very determined to make sure that we hear him. <laughs> He's very determined. He doesn't give up. So what is the calling of the Lord in your life? What's the calling of the Lord? What does the Bible mean when it says the callings of the Lord in your life? The Bible reveals that God uh, calls to you and me and you say, of course, PD, because you're a pastor. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. That is a, one particular type of calling, but I'm not talking about that uh, uh, today. Um, I'm no one special or extraordinary to God. He calls to all of us. And the first time he called to us is when we were far from him. That's the first time he calls to everyone and they're far from him. You might say, oh, pastor, I wasn't that big of a sinner. I wasn't that far from God. Oh, my friend, whether, you were little, whether you're a little sinner or a big sinner, we all have sinned and fallen short of the holy standard of God. So that means there's this ginormous chasm uh, when we don't know God at the very beginning, this ginormous chasm between you and God, between me and God, that was so vast and wide that we had no ability, no possibility of building a bridge to get to him. There is no possibility. People try to build a bridge to him. They still try to build a bridge to him by doing good works, by, by paying for, by trying to, you know, give money here, give here, just, or this, 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 this or that, trying to do good things. And it always crumbles underneath them. There, the Bible says there's no, there's nothing we can do to connect ourselves to God. Nothing. 
we can do. That can, we can connect ourselves to God. Um, we were all hopelessly lost and separated from eternal life. Our only destiny was, was to be separated from our Creator, face His wrath, face His judgment, and be punished in an everlasting hell. That's what the Bible teaches us. But God called to you. He called to me from across that vast chasm, didn't he? He called to us. You may not recognize his voice at first, but he persisted. And one day we were awakened to our spiritual condition and we realized we were hopeless. And then he called, and just like a parent calling to a child from the dark, come home, come home. And use the bridge that I've made for you. It's the one named Jesus. <laughs> it's the bridge right here. It's the one named Jesus. You can reach me. You can come home on that bridge. And uh, that's the first calling, isn't it? Our first calling from God is a calling to salvation. It's a calling to be saved. It's, calling, it's a calling to escape the, 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 His wrath or escape the judgment of this world. To, be, to have eternal life, to, um, to have that, the, the, uh, the wonder of His presence, to, to, be, uh, to belong to Him. That's the first calling that we have. You know, uh, Hebrews chapter, chapter 4 verse 7 says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. So the first calling of the Lord in your life is this eternal life, this joy of salvation, this being adopted into God's family, becoming His child. And again, like I said, it's actually coming to belong to Christ. You're actually, you actually belong to Him. And you're, you're seeking now, learning to follow Him with all your life. You know, and you say, uh, in what way, you know, do we try to follow him with our life? Well, when you become a Christian, you, you try to surrender to him in everything you know to do. You, you, uh, you try to bring every part of your life underneath his authority. Uh, um, you can't answer God's call to come home and at the same time stay out in the dark, can we? People try to do that. They try to, they try to walk the line, you know, between loving God and loving this world. And, and, uh, but you, you can't answer God's call and at the same time try to stay out in the dark. And I, I think there's, a, there's this historical account of uh, General MacArthur. Um, he was the supreme commander, you know, of the, of the Pacific Theater there during World War II and there's this um, uh, I read this account of how that uh, on the I think it was the ship Missouri when they were the Japanese were coming upon uh, aboard aboard the ship to sign the articles of surrender um, one Japanese officer extended his hand to MacArthur he was in full Japanese officer uniform and had a sword and and uh, and he extended uh, he signed the paper and extended his hand and MacArthur just stared at him looked at him I mean, didn't move and got a little awkward there finally MacArthur said your sword first sir So as he took his sword out as evidence of surrender, then he extended the hand of friendship. And that's who it is with the Lord too. The Lord never can extend his hand of friendship to us 
until we've fully surrendered our rebellion against Him. That's the call to salvation. We, we have to repent, don't we? We have to surrender all we know of ourselves to Him. Here, here's my sword, Lord. My, my sword of rebellion against you. I, I lay it at the foot of the cross. I, I lay it before you. And that's, uh, that's the only way we can, we can cross that bridge to come home to God. The, the, the scriptures uh, also reveal to us here that God calls us, when He calls us, after He calls us to salvation, He calls us to holiness too. I mean, we could take some time here and look at some scriptures, but First Thessalonians, it's God's will that you should be sanctified or made holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality. First Thessalonians 5, 23-24, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Um, as we walk with the Lord the Lord shows us that there's there's new things there's new commitments that we're to make to him and one of these is a one of holiness that we we want to live our lives in a way that uh, like he is holy we want to be holy or we should be holy so we, we it, it changes the way we speak it changes the way we we uh, you know we we talk to others or we think to others uh, think about others it, it changes our life we it changes the way we deal with money it changes the way things that we purchase it changes the things we watch on TV it, it just changes everything about us because we're trying to bring again our lives under his holy canopy where our lives reflect who He is and we want to please Him. God also calls us not just to holiness, but He calls us to service too. Ephesians chapter 2, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So God has work for us to do. So we, you know, these are things that we learn, that we get saved and all of a sudden we realize that, boy, we're supposed to walk in righteousness and live in righteousness, but but also He's got things for us to do, not just in the church or not just in ministry functions, but also Every day there's things he would like for us to, uh, he might suggest to us that we help somebody along the way. Maybe give someone a call on the phone or, or send them an encouragement note or maybe, maybe uh, provide them a financial gift or maybe, you know, a, a, a something, something of some groceries or something. Whatever it might be, God has service for us to do. There's also a call here, a call to separation. And this kind of goes along with the holiness idea that, that God says, you know, that we need to be separate. There needs to be a, we need to be separate from the world. And although we're in the world, our lifestyle needs to reflect different principles and different priorities than what the world does, than, what, how, than how the world lives. And so the Lord says, come out from among them, my people, be, be separate from, from the world. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. God calls us, just thinking these real quickly, but God calls us to con- consecration too. Um, there comes that time, I remember that time in my early life as a disciple of Jesus where it finally dawned on me. You know, I, I didn't realize it at first when in my early walk with the Lord, but there came that time as I matured in my thinking and as I was reading the God's Word, that there came that time when I realized God wants me to make an intentional effort here to consecrate my body to Him. I didn't realize it when I first got saved, but He's asking me that I consecrate my hands and my, my arms and my, my, 
my legs, my, my feet, my mouth, my eyes, that my whole body is to be consecrated to Him, dedicated to Him. I remember taking that time, uh, kneeling and saying, Lord, all that I am, I want you to have. And of course, I'd already did that a couple years earlier at the foot of the cross when I got saved, but now I, now I know more. Now I understand more what all fully this means to walk with Jesus. And so God eventually calls us to, to consecration there, uh, to be a living sacrifice. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But just let me give you one more here, another calling that God gives us. And this is one we don't talk about much, but a call to suffering too. It's not a not our favorite one to talk talk about, but but you know, like it's it's a reality. We are called to suffer at times for the sake of Jesus. There's times the the devil really puts us through the trials. The, he, of course, God allows him to do that, but we're, we 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 suffer at the hands of some difficulty, or maybe a coworker talks about us because, behind our back, or maybe someone catches us praying over our meal, and and we're, and we're laughed at, and we're scorned, or or there could be a whole host of things. Maybe we, we lose the job promotion, or maybe somebody you know we lose friends because of Jesus. And there's lots of other ways to suffer as well. It could be that we suffer persecution. But Paul and Barnabas both said in Acts 14, we tried to encourage the early saints there, just reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Yeah. Well, one of our primary callings from God we have is to learn to, to worship properly. To learn to worship properly. I'm still practicing how to worship the Lord. Worship comes naturally, I think, to all of us. Even the ungodly uh, worship something or someone. And worship is attributing worth to something that you highly value or you're attracted to. The ungodly worship sin. They, they worship the world. Um, but we're called to worship God. In Romans chapter 12, you know this verse very well, in verses 1 and 2, Paul pleads with us to just take a bold and this intentional conscious step to dedicate this entire structure called me to God uh, to, uh, because of all he has done in providing us for uh, a salvation, in providing us a Savior who died for us. Paul's saying, listen everybody, just as God gave all of himself to you to provide your salvation, you should give all of yourself to him. God didn't hold anything back and God doesn't want you to hold anything in your life back from him either. We should look at ourselves, Paul says, like a, like a sacrifice in the altar. In the Old Testament, when they would lay a sacrifice in the altar, it was always dead, of course. It was a lamb or a goat or a bull or uh, some other creature. It was, some, it was always dead when they put it on the altar, when they sacrificed it. But the point is, that offering was dedicated to God. That was dedicated to God's service, the purpose of sacrifice. And Paul's saying in this verse, he's saying, become a living sacrifice. Don't, don't be dead, but be a living sacrifice to God where you have given yourself, again, all the members of your body, you've consecrated all yourself to God. Do it consciously. Uh, take a moment, a private moment, and give yourself to God entirely. 
Don't, don't, uh, don't neglect it. It's, a, it's one of his callings to you. He wants you to, you to give you to be a living sacrifice to God. You know, and, and um, don't let your eyes or your mouth or your hands or your feet, your brain get out of control and be misused in sin against God. But become a living sacrifice, dedicated, consecrated to those life purposes, that, that way of living that would honor him through your life and perpetuate the truth and the holiness and the goodness, the kindness, the strength, the love of God so that people can see, see him in your life. When Jesus began to teach his disciples the essentials of how to pray, and again, it, it'll be an intentional effort on our part. If, if you want to learn to pray better, um, it has to go beyond just listening to a sermon on prayer. It has to go beyond that. Um, I know. I know because I've, I've listened to plenty of sermons on prayer. And uh, the only time I've benefited is when I got serious enough to say, God, I really want to learn to pray better. And, of course, the Holy Spirit has to work on our hearts, too, to want to desire that. But it takes an intentional effort for us to really learn how to pray better. Jesus practiced, and he taught this meaningful, effective prayer. He said that it begins not with our needs. Listen to this. It doesn't begin with our needs. It doesn't begin with a world crisis. It doesn't even begin with a church crisis. But to pray effectively... To pray meaningfully, to get out of prayer, to, to have prayer really working in your life in a beautiful, precious way, you must first of all learn to worship. You must, that's why we can't really worship unless until we're a, a living sacrifice, till we've given our all to God. Jesus said that prayer first begins with a, with a person. It begins focusing on God's person. That's what he said. It doesn't begin with us saying, Lord, this is what my need is, even if it's a spiritual need. No, he said, first, you pray. You learn how to address God, how to focus on God as a person. And he said, the way we address God is as Father as Father. See, that didn't sound very deep, Pastor. That's what Jesus is teaching us. This is, this is deep right here. This is really solid. He said we must begin with Father. We should address our Creator as Father. Now let me tell you something. This was a huge new revelation to these disciples. This was ginormous. This was something they had never heard before uh, to address God as Father. This, and we need to stop and ponder this for a while. We're so used to hearing it all these years that it just kind of, kind of, just rolls over us and kind of, and we don't doesn't really sink in. But if we were the if we were the disciples, they would be going like, "What? What? And what?" And their mouths would drop open, and they're like, "What? Father?" You know, uh, these disciples. Uh, this was an astounding re revelation to the early disciples of Jesus. Um, the first disciples they, that they should address the sovereign Lord of the universe as Father was just a shocker. In the Old Testament, God is only addressed as Father seven times. And it wasn't by any individual. It was when Israel came together as a nation to pray. And they said like, God is the Father over our nation. They 
never prayed saying God is our individual father. That was, that was not known. I mean, no, none of the prophets, Daniel, the, uh, you know, uh, Elijah, there was none of the prophets that ever addressed God as father. Um, but Jesus said we're to speak to God as father. And not just in a formal ceremonial manner, but Jesus introduces to us an entirely new way to think of our Heavenly Father. And in it's, in it's addressed right here that we are to address Him in an a informal way as Abba. This is an Aramaic term for Father. Every culture has um, formal and informal words for parents. Every culture does. You know, if you want to really be formal in our culture, you would address your, you know, you address your dad as father, you know, or mother, you know, father and mother. And when you're, when you're less formal or you have an informal, uh, you know, um, title for your parents, it's, you know, dad or mom or some people, papa or even mama. There's a disagreement among scholars um, as to exactly how to translate this word Abba. And that's why in the scriptures it's not always translated. Mark doesn't translate it and Paul doesn't either. Um, it's, it's Abba Father. Because Abba is a very, very special, unique word. And that's why this was such a shocker to the disciples. Um, the reason I think why maybe scholars disagree with is because um, our informal, informal terms, excuse me, for parents, uh, sometimes there can be this hint of childish familiarity um, in, in informal addressing uh, addresses to our, to our father, to our, you know, uh, like, like for instance, some, some scholars would wince when they hear some preachers or some, some, um, um, articles that would call Abba Daddy. And they just say, Daddy, no, that doesn't fit. It's Daddy's not right. Because sometimes with Daddy, there's a childishness in that idea of Daddy. Um, a childish, you know, a childish, you know, a f familiarity. There's actually two parts to the word Abba. There, there's two things that make up the word Abba. And there is this, there's, there's this sense of a, I'll get, get it up here for you. There's this, this, this informal intimacy of this word that where there's no childishness, foolishness, there's no foolishness in the word, but there's a deep, intimate, personal feeling of relationship with the word Abba. I know it's kind of confusing, isn't it? And the second part of it is that it's a child that really trusts, that knows his or her Abba to the point that they are willing to trust and obey. That you can't call God Abba unless you're willing to obey what he says. There's a, it's a two-pronged two word. Yeah, there's a deep personal intimacy in it, but there's also this connection of obedience and trust. And that's why Jesus, when he would pray, when he was praying in the garden, he was pouring out his soul 
he was saying, Abba. He knew God so well, so intimately, that he said, if there's any way possible that we can do it differently than what is planned. (laughs) Because Jesus realized he was going to have to become sin. He was going to have to be separated from Abba for a while on the cross. He was pleading that there might be another way, but not my will, but yours be done. So there's this... You see why it's not that easy? You see why you think, well, it's just not like reading a book and say, oh yeah, I can become a great prayer. No, prayer is an experience activity. It's, a, it's where you look to God and say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I, but I want to learn how to focus on you as Father, as my Father. And that may be hard for some people because maybe they didn't have such a good earthly dad. And so there's a lot to overcome in their thinking. They think, when they think of dad, they think of yuck. A guy that always let them down. A guy that hurt them. A guy that failed them. So they have to overcome that by realizing that God is not like my earthly dad if, if, he, if he was like that. If he, was, if he let me down or if he failed me or if he, if he mistreated me or, or whatever. But to realize that God is supreme and He's loving and He always has the best intentions toward us. Yeah. But do you see that? It's, it's this informal, it's not like God's far away and, and I must address Him in a ceremonial manner. It's, it's not like that. Jesus said, no, He's, he's close. He's intimate. He's, he's right here with you. He's your friend. He, he's... Your Abba. <laughs> There's no foolishness in him. Don't you act foolish. There's no, you shouldn't be too familiar with him and that would breed disrespect or contempt or anything like that. You have to, he always, you always respect him. You show reverence toward him, but he's your Abba. He's your Papa in a sense, your spiritual Papa. And <laughs> he's worth obeying. Yeah, and trusting. Amen. Again, I think I said both Mark and Paul, Mark 14 and Galatians 4 and Romans 8, they both make sure to carry this truth about Abba in their writings. You can, you can find the, uh, their, their truth about how God remains uh, Abba to his children um, in the, new, in the new, new covenant this new personal relationship God has with us as father and child God is not a force he's not a, just a mere principle but Jesus said to expect God to be a personal father and he says so you should address him as father and then the very first request of your prayer should be this it should be this Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is not a name, not a word that we use very much in our vocabulary course, but this is the first prayer request that you're making. Oh, Father, basically help me to elevate your name in my life, to keep your name holy. Help me to be careful how to hold it in my heart, how to, how to speak about you in public, how to speak about you in private. Help me to be careful uh, when it comes to jokes about the divine. Help me not to be disrespectful, but to realize that your name is the most special of all names. Help me to keep it unprofaned. It's a trust between you 
in God. Jesus saying that this should be just the top priority of our Christian life, loved ones. You say, PD, it just seems out of balance. It's what Jesus is teaching us. The top priority of your life is to keep God's name holy in your life. And how do you do that? God has to show you, has to show you how to, how to keep his name holy, how to keep his name, you know, true and pure in your life. And, and how that when you gossip about somebody behind their back, how you're dishonoring his name. He, he'll teach you how that, you know, if you want, hallowed be your name. If you want to, I want to live a life that always lifts up the holiness and the uniqueness and the specialness of your name. It's reflected in everything you do, in the way you talk, in the, in the way you live, in the way you act. Amen. Jesus said it should be the top priority of our life. If you want to experience the reality of God, again, of his presence, fellowshipping with you, an intimate fellowship and power, you have to address God as Father and focus on keeping his name holy. You see, friends, prayer is not just a religious exercise that we perform to make us feel better about ourselves. It's not that. Prayer is, first and foremost, it's this adventure into worship and discovering who the Lord is. It's an adventure of enjoyment and the wonder of God's presence. If, um, you know, if it doesn't, prayer doesn't have to be, uh, you know, beyond us. It's first and foremost, it's making yourself focus on God's character. It's, um, it's not necessarily easy because you have to learn who he is. You have to read the Bible and discover the wonders of who he is. And, and, uh, it's not necessarily a simple thing to do, but I mean, you have to, you have to, you know, try to add to your knowledge, uh, the knowledge of the Lord. Um, by faith in your Father, you, you, you trust Him to help learn to acknowledge His greatness, His goodness, His loving kindness, His, his wisdom, His power, His creative genius, His brilliance and salvation. There's so many things just to take time, just to pause and quiet yourself and focus upon Him as Father. Abba Father and um, how wonderful he is and again you don't have to be perfect in your first attempts at this or, but simply determine to begin just begin with a you know with, with time and effort you're going to find your skill uh, coming in worship increasing because his presence will become more real to you and like Paul said you'll find that as you pray the Holy Spirit will begin speaking in you saying Abba Father we need to pray that God would be bigger in our life and that God would be big to us. That we wouldn't try to decrease Him or try to manipulate Him or, or in any way disrespect Him. Um, we need to resist all those casual familiarities that would lead us to disrespect Him. We should fear no name more than His. Let me close. Um, I want to show you, I want to hope you see that this this calling, this this is a this is a calling from the Lord too to learn to pray. To my shame, I can recall one time that I dishonored my dad's title as my father. I remember this. I was I think I was either twelve or I don't think I was thirteen yet. But my father, my mother had gone to work when uh, 
my brother and my two sisters when we entered high school and middle school, so she'd go to work. And when we came home, a lot of times there was nobody there. My dad's at work, my mom's at work. So my dad, uh, he developed this um, work schedule for us, chore schedule. And so, I mean, my dad's, he had a nice chart for us, and, and it was a, like a revolving chore list. Like one, one week, uh, everybody would have these responsibilities, and then next week we'd switch, we'd change up, and you'd change your responsibilities. Anyway, he'd usually write it up for a month, and you know, and so we'd come home and look in the refrigerator and see what our job was today, you know, to do. Somewhere, I don't know, something happened. There was a club uh, meeting after school that I wanted to be such a part of. My dad, for uh, good reasons, I found out later why when I was older, more, more mature, why he said no to this. But he wouldn't allow me to join this club after school. And I'm here to tell you that I got so angry. Now, I wasn't a Christian, but I got so angry at my dad that I lost control. I was by myself, I thought. And, of course, when you're by yourself and you're just a kid, you talk to yourself. And I found out that I talk to myself now, so I don't know what that means. But, uh, but I remember I called my dad a name. It was a disrespectful name. I'd never done that ever. I was so angry with him. And I didn't know anyone had heard me, but apparently my mother happened to overhear it. I didn't know it. Un- un- unknown none to me. The next week, when I looked, it almost brings tears to my eyes now to even talk about this, but the next week, when I looked at our weekly work schedule from my dad, at the top was written, from the mean old man. from the mean old man and then our list of responsibilities my brother and my sisters immediately shamed me for being so disrespectful to my dad and uh, of course my mother did too but my dad never said a word I didn't get punished I didn't get I didn't get punished he never said a word to me about it ever my brother and I, like I said, my, my sister, they, my dad, they, they just, I, I heard about that for weeks to come, what a lousy person I was. But I knew that I had hurt him deeply by what I did. For weeks, again, I heard that phrase thrown up in my face by my family, by everybody except my dad. I grieved him so deeply. But finally, a couple years later, it was part of, a, you know, I came to know the Lord. And I remember it was a part of my restitution. I, I remember the night that I got saved. I just had this thing in me. I, wasn't, I, was, I was very ignorant about the Lord, but I, I knew that I needed to make some apologies to my father. And I remember I just made some apologies about lying and about deceiving him and things I had done against my, my father. So, and he gladly forgave me. My point is, loved ones, that If you don't endeavor to educate yourself and train ourselves in learning how special and how sacred God's name is, we will slip into disrespect for him and grieve his presence from fellowship with us. 
sometimes I wonder maybe maybe uh, since we don't think it's that big a deal to really seek him or we don't think it's that big a deal to re- learn how to address him properly and learn how to think about him maybe that's why we don't know the joy of his fellowship we don't know the joy of, of being because I know after man, I tell you, after I I uh, I got right with my dad again. I did. That's that was. I was 14, so it's been a long time ago, 50 years ago, when I made that apology, and I've never fallen into that trap again. And my dad and I are like that. We're like that. So if the Lord is speaking to your heart about deepening your prayer life, and um, you can do it. And there'll be testimonies in your life about how wonderful the Lord is, how amazingly new and fresh He is some days where you think, oh my goodness, I know. Sometimes I think our Christianity just seems so dusty, so rusty. It just needs to be polished up and shined because it should be living within us. And it, there should be, we should be learning things about the Lord that just astound us and just uh, make us so happy and joyful that it's hard for us not to talk about it. Amen. Father, as we prepare to leave today, I pray that there will be your spirit will well, has been and will continue to speak to us about how the, the, the treasures, the, the joys you have in store for us to, to learn how to pray meaningfully these, by just mastering some of these very simple, these basic essentials. But I don't, again, I, I'm trusting that you are speaking to our hearts about this, that, that we go... That we something change within us that we become more thrilled, more excited about you and our life. That there's things we're actually learning, things, new things we're discovering about you that are just so thrilling that the joy pops out in our countenance, and that the sense of presence of Jesus seems to be stronger among us. Lord, I, I pray today that you will help anyone who has, uh, has ears to hear and a heart to say, yes, this is where I'm going, Pastor. This is where I'm going, Lord. That I want to learn how to know the Father and address Him as Abba and keep His name holy. As well, Lord, when we do that, I know Everything else will fall into place when it comes to our spiritual growth. So, before we close today, I just wanted to know if, with our eyes uh, closed or even heads bowed, if you'd like to just say, I really want to learn better how to, to pray in a meaningful way, say, yes, Pastor, I'm, I'm one that I'm going to be endeavoring to do this. Would you just lift up your hand just so I can pray for you? Anyone? I see that hand. I see that hand too. And those, thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Lord, thank you for these hands. Uh, thank you for this desire that you put within us to want to grow here at Mount Hope. So, in Jesus' name.
we pray you'll help us to continue. You'll keep us from the temptations that the devil would try to sidetrack us with. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand up together. Thank you for your kind attention so very much. And uh, uh, kiss your neighbor if it's appropriate. Okay? Mm-hmm.